today I want to in- introduce you to two more of my friends. Last week I introduced you to Colby and Corey. Today I want to introduce you to uh, Kelly and Kendra. Um, these are imaginary, by the way, okay? They're up here. They're not real, all right? Just to make sure I'm not crazy, all right? Um, Kelly um, is, I mean, Kelly looks just like she, she came off of Instagram. I mean, she's well-dressed, uh, current fashion trend. She's very well-kept. In, in every real way, uh, as we as a culture would define it, she looks like a woman, uh, when she walk in, walks into a room, she commands attention. Kendra, however, um, is, is not w- so well-dressed. She's sworn off Instagram, uh, doesn't have a Pinterest. She's kind of plain and boring. Uh, she thinks of herself this way. I'm not saying this about her. She says this about herself. She thinks of herself as a little big bone, so she wears baggy clothes, uh, when she walks into the room, there's a good chance that you don't notice her. Kelly uh, graduated from CSU with a, design, a degree in interior design. She's a very successful businesswoman who's doing really well with her interior design company. Kendra uh, graduated high school and doesn't have a job. Kelly would never harm a fly. Uh, Kendra can kill, clean, and cook whatever she wants, and if there is a fly, she will kill it. If there is a spider, she will stomp it. She's never screamed at a spider and she, or, or a mouse or anything, and she prides herself in that. Um, Kelly drives a really cool SUV. Uh, she is way too cool for a Minvi or to be a mom in a minivan. Uh, she's not going to do it. She's got to have her cool SUV. Kendra, however, uh, will drive anything, knows how to drive anything, can drive a tractor. She knows how to, uh, how to plow the fields. She works her garden with her tractor every year. If it's got wheels, she can drive it. I'm just, just telling you, she can drive anything. Uh, Kelly, her house is spotless. You walk in, and it's the type of house that you walk in. You're like, man, I'd eat off the floor. And then you look at the decorations, and the decorations are gorgeous, and they change with season. Kendra has never been to Hobby Lobby before. Her house is kind of messy. It's plainly decorated. You can tell her kids have fun by all the toys that are scattered everywhere. And also, you can tell that they own a lot of crayons because, well, there's crayon marks in a lot of places. Um, Kelly, I mentioned, I mentioned kids. Kelly has two kids. Her two kids are very well-behaved. They're mild-mannered, and they're always so like, really nicely dressed. Even so that when her kids were really little, her friends gave her a hard time about ironing the onesies. All right? Um, Kendra's kids are not that. They look like a mess. There's a decent chance they've got food on their clothes or a little bit of peanut butter and jelly on their, their mouth. But they're, they're, they're fun kids. They're just kind of plain like their mom. Uh, Kelly teaches Sunday school at church. She's on the women's ministry team. She's really well-spoken. She's a really good communicator. And she gets invited to, to speak at events at other people's churches. Um, Kendra faithfully attends church most of the time. Kelly uh, can prepare a meal that looks like a chef made it. Yeah, an incredible host. Straight off of Pinterest. Like, it's just 
Pinterest perfect uh, meal, the decorations, everything are there. If you eat at Ken, Kendra's house, you're gonna, the first thing you're going to think of is like, she cooked with a lot of butter. There's a lot of butter in that food. Um, like you look at the peach cobbler and you know it's a cup of peach cobbler. Do y'all know what that is? A cup of butter, a cup of sugar, a cup of flour. It's like what grannies look like, all right? Um, there's, there's the two women. Now, last week I, I painted this picture and I, I kind of played a trick on y'all, all right? So no, uh, there, there, there's, I played a trick. Now, I'm going to change it up a little bit this week. Last week I said, you know, I, I, picked, I painted a picture of two men and I said which one within our culture is like the, the, the iconic American man or whatever, the ideal American man. Today, I'm, I want you to think, which of these two is the ideal Christian? So I'm talking church culture. Which of these is the ideal Christian woman, Kelly or Kendra? No, everybody's scared to answer because last week's a trick. So you're like, this is a trick question, right? This is not a trick question. Because the ideal, I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying that the ideal in most church cultures, if they hold up the two women, let's be honest, they're going to look at Kelly and think that she's a better woman than Kendra. That's true. Now, let's keep going. When Kelly's husband comes home from work, he's excited to see her. He loves her, he cares for her, she cherishes him, and they have an awesome relationship. Kendra's husband, when he com comes home from work, he's excited to see her. He loves her, she loves him, they, they cherish one another, they have a great relationship, they love each other. Kelly, when um, you're around her, you think, this is just the, she's just so sweet, she's gentle, she's kind, she's quiet, she's gracious. And when you're around Kendra, you think, man, she is just so sweet and kind and gentle and, and loving and, and gracious. You're around Kelly, you get the, the, the picture real quick that Kelly respects her husband and she loves her children and she's raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And when you're around Kendra, you realize like she really respects her husband, she loves him, and she's raising her children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so my question to you would be, which two of the women are godly women? Both. Both. Both are, right? But, but what we've done, again, I pointed this out last week, I just, I just made both of my women godly this week. That's all I did. I made both of them godly. The whole, up until the last three, would you say I'm a smart man? Is that what you said? All right, yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, yeah, yeah, learn from that, college guys. Learn from that. Um, there, up until the, like the first eight things that I listed off have nothing to do with being godly. Actually, it's seven because I did mention going to church, right? Uh, they, they have nothing to do with the, the, whether you shop at Hobby Lobby and you've got a great decorated house or you don't. Like, that's a cultural thing that we've put on the woman, right? And, 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 it, and let me be honest. Culturally, what we've done with women and the things that we've put on them is that you've got to keep up with this and you've got to do, do this and you've got to follow this trend. Like, it's got to be tiring. It's got to be tiring. Now, 
culturally, there's a pretty big issue here. In our, in our current cultural moment, in, in where we live in 2022, here's a problem. Is that when Kendra was young, and for her to turn out the way that she turns out, that meant that when she was younger, she's probably a tomboy. Right? She's probably a tomboy. And that's what we would call that, you know, it's not like a biblical term, but that's like culture, like you look in the cultural moment of the 80s and 90s, that's, that's what we called it, right? I, I had a neighbor growing up who I think is like the classic definition of, of tomboy. Um, there were only boys our age within probably like a five or six mile radius like of, of where we lived. And she was the, the, the only girl, and, and so guess what she liked to do? The same things that we did. And so we rode motorcycles. Guess what she did? She rode a motorcycle. She had a little Honda 50 and this red gumball helmet, man, and she'd just tell us. She'd go everywhere we go. We would play, play in the creek and fish and uh, look, look for pottery. That was like a thing that we did in Indian pottery in where I grew up. It was a thing. She did those same things, right? Uh, man, when she turned 16... Uh, she drove a little Mazda five-speed truck, right? She could drive a five-speed. She could, she could drive whatever. We, we took a welding class in high school. She could out-weld me. Um, she ended up getting a welding engineering degree. But let me tell you, as an adult, she's one of the godliest women that I know. She loves and respects her husband and follows him and does such a good do- job rearing their, their children. Her, her children love the Lord. Uh, I look at it and I go, if where we grew up, you know, if it, if it were today, somebody would look at her and go, no, that's a, that's a boy trapped in a girl's body. They've got gender incongruence, right? They, they would say, okay, something, something's wrong here. And so much of that happens because what we've talked about is that culturally, we have taken uh, gender roles and gender norms and missed prescribed them. We've taken things that we thought, what it means to be a man, what it means to, a, to be a, a woman, and we've looked at them, and we've t- taken things that were culture, and we've said that they're part of our identity when they're, they're, when they're really part of how we're nurtured and, and how we're raised. And so today, I want to hop into the text and I want us to look at what does it biblically mean to be a woman. Now, um, I feel really under-equipped to uh, preach this sermon. I'll let you know I'm a little insecure. One, I'm not a woman. Two, I don't understand women. Um, there's a third. There's a third. Um, there's a third in there somewhere. You know, I, I don't, but... But I'll tell you this, you know what the Bible does tell me to do? The Bible tells me to understand my wife. The Bible says, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way. And one of the, one of the areas in which I, that I would tell you in my marriage that I've, we've identified and over the years and said, I need to live with my wife in an understanding way. I need to learn my wife and I need to understand how God made her and who he made her to be. So, let's hop in. God's word. Here's the big truth that I want us to walk away with today at the end. And it's this, that God created women with a purpose and a role for them to fulfill. 
Now, when I read that, did anybody in the room go, wait a second, you just said role, and women, women have a role, and I don't like that. Well, last week's sermon, did you have a problem with it? Because last week's was God created men with a purpose and a role for them to fulfill. So I've just changed one word, um, just changed one word, and this is, this is the point of where we're going. Now, we've been rooted in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 in this whole sermon series. We're going to jump back in at Genesis 2, 18. And this is what the, the, the Bible says. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, every man in the room right there should have said, Amen. Now, out of the ground of the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see uh, what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And we probably should say amen again right there. Um, here's my first big idea as we look at this text. Woman completed God's creation making mankind complete. Have you ever thought about the fact that the very last thing that God created was woman? And he looked at everything else. That's why, that's why I took the time and labored through reading that. I've read it multiple times. He looked through all the beasts, all the animals, all the things that were created, and said there is not a helper fit for man. He looked at what he said and said, hey, this is good, but this isn't enough. And he created a woman, and then he went, this is enough. This is it. My completion is good. I would point this to you, that there was whatever the man uh, that, that um, he, he named all these things, but it was not found a helper fit for him. And I want to point out that word, helper. So that's saying, um, in this, as he's created woman with a, a role to fulfill, he's completed this thing, and he completed it, making her a helper. That means that the two things, the completion, is meant to complement one another. Now, you may think in, in, in your, your mind, you may go, well, man, helper, as a woman, I'm a helper. Yeah, you, you, you are. So is a man. Being a helper is a good thing. Being a helper is not a bad thing. Um, because of, because of um, where we are culturally, and you can go all the way back to... Uh, you know, you, you can go back to the Industrial Revolution, World War I, World War II, the sexual revolution. You can see, like, how if, if that flies against you, it's because culture has conditioned you for that to fly against you. Uh, I'm going to use the word submissive, and we, we use the word submissive in this sermon. Uh, you're like, man, as a woman, you're telling me to submit. You didn't have a problem when I told a man to submit last week, right? Because we did. We said we, that was like the, kind of the chief thing last week, that was men should submit to the Lord. 
right? Remember I said you can't stand and be strong as a man until you kneel and submit to Jesus, right? So there, there, when I'm talking about submission here, when I'm talking about helping here, these are good things. These are not bad things. These are part of how God has created us to be, how God has designed us to be. There, there, is, there is a helper here. Now, one of the reasons that we, we are here and we think about cultural conditioning, right, and how we, we've been conditioned, it is because, and I've said this over and over, it's because men have abused women. Remember, it's only been 100 years in the U.S. since women have had the right to vote. If we look, look through history, and it's not just Christian history, I would, I would say that if we look through history, we see that women are mistreated, and we can look to other religions in the world today, and we can see that women are mistreated. So I want to point this out. I say this in every, every sermon I preach at a, at, a, uh, at a marriage, right? When I do, when I do a, a wedding, I use this line. I just pulled it out. I said, woman was made out of the side of man, not out of his foot to be trampled upon, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, near his heart to be loved, right? I've said over and over in this sermon series that we're created male and we're created female, that both have equal dignity, value, and worth. But the fact that God made you made made women a helper means that there is completion and that the two things that he completed complement one another. That that in this we complement, we need each other. Men need women. Now, women need men. I, I could I, I could guarantee you that at least 75% of the married men in this room at some point have looked, in, looked at their wives and said this line to her. Baby, you just complete me. And she went, aw, you just complete me. Um, there's like truth in that. I want you to understand. Like as a man, I feel completed by Jennifer. I'm so thankful for my wife. And, and I'm so thankful that the two of us partner together uh, through life. I would be, it would be rough without her. I'll just tell you that. It would be rough. You know, I love the fact that I have a wife. I like her just how she, God, God made her, and I'm, I'm glad that the Lord put us together. What that doesn't mean is that if I didn't have my wife, I wouldn't be complete or that I'd have to help, have a helper, right? doesn't mean you as a woman, if you, you're, you're never married, that doesn't mean that you're, you're not complete and that you, you need it, you know? In, in our world, we think, no, a woman doesn't need a man, and, you know, in a lot of ways, that's right, and that's true. But for the sake of humanity, I want you to understand something. We kind of need each other, right? For the sake of, sake of humanity, I'm not talking about every specific case. I, I get it. Um, I, I understand there are going to be people who are single, those are who, are, who are never married, those who have a divorce, those who are done wrong by the opposite sex in, in said divorce or relationship. But I'm, what I'm talking about, in the grand scheme of things, God made us male and female, and he made it for, uh, for, for both of us. His design is good. Where we look and we wrestle and we say the design isn't good, that's because, because we broke his design when we sinned. It is, it is Genesis 3 and the fall of Genesis 3 that corrupted his good design. We talk about the battle of the sexes. I want you to understand that the battle of the sexes is sinful. It's our sin nature that causes it. I've used the example a couple times of forks and spoons. I am a fan of both. 
right? I've said this. I'm a fan of both. I don't sit down at the table, and I don't, I'm not going to make an argument that the fork is the better utensil than the spoon, or the spoon is the better utensil than the fork. We, can, we agreed on this a few weeks ago, that if you're eating steak, you want a fork. If you're eating some sort of wonderful dessert, like Captain Crunch, <laughs> you're going to want a spoon, right? It's a great dessert, man. It's a great dessert. No matter it is, like... Ice cream with a fork works for the first few bites, but it leaves the last half. You just can't do it. It takes both things, and it would seem silly to us to argue that one is better than the other, wouldn't it? It is also silly for us to look at men and women and to, and to think one is better than the other. No, there is there are equal in dignity, worth, and value in the eyes of God. But yet, God gave men a role, and he gave women a role. He gave men a purpose and women a purpose. And very much in, in our purpose and... So much of our purpose is shared. So much of how we should, we should live as Christians is shared. However, there are things that, that, that are not shared. There are things that women can do that men can't do, and men can do that women can't do. And that flies in the face of our culture, but I'm about to tell you one big one. Turn back over chapter chapter 1, verse 28. It says, And God blessed them, and, and, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. Here's the next big idea, is that women have a unique role in multiplication. So in verse 28, when he says, Be fruitful and multiply, it takes two, a husband and a wife to multiply. But woman has a unique role. I never imagined that I would have to stand and say this in front of people 10 years ago. But I have to say it. Men cannot have babies. Men cannot birth children. When God made you a male or female, he, gave, he made you biologically the way that you were. He gave you the plumbing that you, you have. He gave you the internal organs that you have. Your, your chromosomes, every, down to the very, every little bit of DNA, is either male or female. A hundred years from, from now, when they dig your, if they ever, someone dug your body up, they could tell if you were male or female based off of how God made your body. I, I joked last week about the pregnant, the senior pastor emoji, the pregnant man emoji. Like, it, it, it's, it's just not true. When God made women and he chose to make women... He gave them a unique role in multiplication, and that is to mother children. Women have the incredible ability that men do not have to be able to grow a human inside their body. To grow it from like this to like sometimes 8, 9, 10 pounds, which sounds awful. And carry that baby around in their body. And, and bring that, that, that human, birth that human out of their body. And then, within weeks, their body goes back to normal. Some of the women in the room, like last time, they were like, it ain't all normal. Like, things change. I don't know. I don't understand that. You look normal to me, all right? He looked normal to me. He looked wonderful. He looked lovely. Thank you for birthing my child, Jennifer. I appreciate that. You went through a, a, a ton. I, I don't have the ability to do that. But do you know what that also means? Like, And that baby's born, the, the mother has the ability to nurse that child, to provide life to that child, to keep that child alive. You know, if, if, if there is just a mother and a father, and they are in the wilderness, and they have a baby, and the mom dies in childbirth, guess what? That baby dies too, because that man does not have the ability to feed that, that, that child 
This is what the Lord, the, Lord, the Lord gave the woman to play this role in multiplication, to have and to birth a child, to nurture them. That's not saying that, man, that, a, that, a, that two men can't have babies and nurture them. Right? I mean, two men can't have babies. I had to clarify this. In our culture, though, right, we, we have surrogate moms. This happens. By the way, I think it's wrong. I don't think you should. Like women, no women in the room, you don't, don't be a surrogate for two dudes, all right? That baby's not going to have what it needs. Not to say they can't nurture it, but can they nurture it the way that its birth mother can? I think any, any adoptive mom in the room would say that they've not been able, it's, you can't nurture the same way that the birth mom has. That is what the, it's a gift that the Lord has given the woman, and it's part of the role in which she plays in his creation is that of mother. I will never be a mother. I will be a, I am a father. And I will father my children, but I will not mother my children. And so God gave women a unique role in multiplication. Biologically, you have a unique role that he gave you. And every man in the room ought to agree with me right now. Women are awesome. We're thankful for you. Including our mamas. Birth us. It takes both. Now, here's the next thing that I want to show you. There is a biblical way for women to act. Now, remember, this is also a point from last week. There is a biblical way for men to act. Remember, uh, we see in the text, be strong, be courageous, act like men. Everything you do, do in love. Um, I want to read you from a few places in Scripture. Um, as we, We're going to talk about who your identity and who God created you to be, who God created you, he made you biologically female, but he also created you to act a certain, certain way as a, a female. Now, so many of those, remember, so many of these things are shared between men and women. Typically, when we go to the Bible and we look at these things, we look at what is described meaning what's descriptive rather than what's prescribed. And the number one place that we probably go is Proverbs 31. But Proverbs 31, it's, it's, it's great, but it is descriptive. It's describing the woman. It's not, it's not saying this is how you ought to act. And we did this last week. We can, we can look at text in the Bible that, uh, remember we looked at Benaiah last week, that was, that was descriptive, but there are prescriptive places. Prescribed, this is how you ought to act. So that's where I want to look. I want to first start at Titus chapter 2. And in Titus chapter 2, we're going to see um, stuff for men in there as well. And I think a lot of it's shared. But we're going to see stuff for, specifically for women. So, Titus chapter 2, but it's for you. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, Show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be, put, uh, may, may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. 
Now, remember my point that I'm making, the idea is that there's a biblical way for women to act. Titus chapter 2 verse 1, I read that. When he says here, but as for you, teach, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Is that written to women or to men? Anybody? It's written to Timothy. Titus, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. It's written to Titus. Got my guys mixed up. It's written to Titus. right? It's written to a man. It's written to a pastor. It's written to his protege. He's saying, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then what we're going to see is that, that Titus, Titus is what he's told to teach. Women and men both are supposed to know sound doctrine. This is not, sound doctrine and theology is not something that is for men only. It is for men and women. Every, every believer should know sound doctrine, should know sound teaching. It has been often in, in the American church that we've said, men need to know the theology and women need to know how to be hospitable and host people. That's stupid, right? That's, that's not helpful. That, like, we're going to... We're not going to relegate women to just one little thing. No, women should know. Like, I'll tell you this. This has been, been interesting. When we do our book studies, we typically study books of the Bible. Or there, there have been some women classes of theology. Vanessa's in the back. Vanessa's taught one. They have great attendance. Women show up, and they want to learn, and they want to know. Just like men should show up, and men should want to learn and and grow. So that, that verse is, is saying, no, men and women, you need to be theologically sound. Then he gives some instruction. And these some of this, I think, there, there are definitely things going on in their culture, going on in their church that would have him say these things. But I think there are things that, that, that all apply to us. So older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, and love and steadfastness. Now, older women, likewise... So, very much like the instructions that I just gave the, the men, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. Now, what's that, what's that quote? I don't know, I'll probably butcher it. I can't even get Titus versus Timothy. I'll probably butcher this quote. But um, Well-behaved women rarely make history, seldom make history, something like that. right? So, so if you hear me say, older women, likewise, be reverent in behavior. Do you go, that's no fun. Dang it. I don't want to, no, I'm not going to behave. I just want to point out, he just told the men to behave, right? This is, this is a characteristic of, of being a, a, a Christian, uh, is that of, of being sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, right? Remember, we have the whole fruits of the Spirit uh, that, that Paul wrote in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. So older women are to be reverent in behavior. That, that means they, they, they should be reverent, kind, uh, loving, respectable in behavior. Not slanders, he says. So not, not, not gossips. Other places he addresses what was going on in the church when women, women were gossiping. And we, we see him say, uh, we see him talk about marriage and who should remarry if they, they've you know, if they've been widowed or whatever, so that they're, they're not sitting around gossiping, being uh, busybodies is some of the language that kind of gets used, that, no, you're not that, you're not slanders, you, you speak well of others, you speak well of out, outsiders. 
not slaves to much wine. This is just funny. Um, in, 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 the, in, the very, in the broader cultural moment in America, um, there is probably more wine being uh, consumed by women than any other time in American history, right? So I, I, think, that's, I, think, I think that's 100% true. Uh, wine has kind of, been, it's kind of become this thing culturally within women of like, it's really it's how to self-medicate. It's how we take care of things, and so we, you know, a lot of, lot of women are, are drinking uh, wine in the evenings. I don't know that's true in our culture. I think in our culture, uh, local culture, it's like, uh, don't be a slave to craft beer like your husband. Uh, uh, it's like, I don't know how much wine's being consumed. I assume some is, but like, that, that, I don't understand whiskey and bourbon and craft beer count too. That it's going, okay, we shouldn't be alcoholics. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be controlled by an outside substance. They're to teach what is good. Older women are to teach what is good. That means that they are both in, but we know right here, given this instruction to both men and women, that the, the older men and older women are given uh, the responsibility to teach. Just like in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that we've talked about, parents are given the instructions to teach. I want you to understand, Christian uh, manhood and Christian womanhood comes with disciple-making and teaching. So to teach what is good. And listen to what they said. To train the young women to love their husbands and their children. That, that a mark of biblical womanhood is that she loves her husband and she loves her children. That's a mark. So as you are pursuing Christ, you're pursuing to come more like Christ. You're pursuing to love your husband and your children. Now, if you'll go back to last week and you'll think about biblical, the, some of the stuff I said about biblical manhood. What's one of the chief things that a man should be as a lover? That a man should love his wife and his children. And so you're, you're loving the, the spouse in which God cre created for you. So they're training him to be self-controlled, to have self-control. Again, that's a fruit of the Spirit. That we should be people who are self-controlled, that don't lose control. Uh, the way in which a woman loses self-control and the way that a man loses self-control, they might look different. You know, I like to throw things and bang things. And if I'm working on a vehicle, I want to kick it, you know, I want to do that. I've never seen Jennifer, uh, like, throw a wrench or anything. I've never seen her, like, get mad and throw something. Um, but I'm not saying my wife's never lost self-control. It may be different, but the, the, it doesn't matter who you are and how you're made. You're to be controlled. You're to control yourself. Men or, man or woman, Christian, pure. That means holy. That, that means that, that you're not just following the things of the world, doing what the world says. So biblical womanhood and God who created you to be is to live for him and not to live for the things of the world. Working at home. Now, man, this one, this one we're, we're, we're starting to tread on unstable ground. Um, I don't think when we say working at home, this is relegating the wife to only work at home. I think there, there's definitely been, been people within Christianity that, you know, they want to keep their wife home, barefoot, and pregnant, right? That's not what this is teaching. Uh, if we read Proverbs 31, we see a woman who works. We see a woman who is diligent. We see a woman who's an entrepreneur. And so 
It's not saying you, you, you can't, can't work away, can't have a business that you can't do something, you can't help provide. It's saying that you should take care of things at home, that there is work to be done at home, and a godly woman is going to do those things. That doesn't mean that the woman has to do everything at home. There's definitely a call for a man to take care of things at home. Um, things like unloading and loading the dishwasher, or things like cooking, um, things like uh, taking the kids to and from school, things like washing clothes. In, in, in our culture, is that uh, a man's job or a woman's job? Well, at my house, is my job because those are things I do. Now, there's a lot of things they do, and I get it. I just got to look. I don't wash all the clothes. I just wash my clothes. <laughs> but I don't expect her to wash my clothes, right? Um, and I surely don't cook all the meals, and I cook none of the good ones. Um, but I do cook. Um, the, those, things, those things are like, no, we, we share at home. Now, kind, we're not going to argue kind. Kind's easy. Kind's also a fruit of the Spirit, right? Look, kindness, right? Now, here's, here's, here's the one. Here's our stumbling block. Here's the one that's going to, like, uh, bristle our eyebrows or something. Submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, here's where we kind of get to this text and we get what it means to be a godly woman. And this is like a stumbling block for us. What does it mean to be submissive? Now, I'm going to tell you. Uh, this has been abused in our culture. If this had not been abused, if this is not had been abused by men having tread on women, having thinking rather they're supposed to be submissive to me, they're supposed to be my servant or my slave, then this wouldn't be a problem. But because of the brokenness of the world that we live in, women have been mistreated and husbands have abused their wives. And so we have to recalibrate our head and re recalibrate our mind to what does biblical submissiveness look like. The first thing that I would show you is that, one, it says submissive to their own husbands. So we even culture said that women should be submissive, and so any woman should be submissive to any man. The Bible does, in fact, not teach that, right? It's not what it's teaching. There, there's there's two, two places in which the Bible is showing that, that, that there is headship, male headship, and that is within the church and within marriage. And so there's the first thing that we need to recalibrate it to go, okay, this is not general. This is specific. This is specific within a, 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 a design, right? This is specific to God's design. So what is submissive? Submissive means it means one, to their own husbands. Um, two, when we look at this, we should, go, we should go back to the beginning. We can go back to Genesis. Um, I'll, I'll pull back over there real quick. Genesis chapter 3. This is the fall. Um, this is the result of the fall. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Um, by the way, I, I, I think in, that's not just in the birth of a child. That's in the raising, the rearing of a child. And, and um, there's pain in it. And the next thing he says is that your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And so if we look at how the fall happened, the reason of the fall, what we're going to see is that there's going to be one of the, one of the sinful temptations that, that some people will experience, some women will experience, is that to uh, rule over their husband and, and whatever his desires to be contrary 
to that desire. And so, the, the call here for a biblical woman, a woman to seeking, um, seeking to live for the Lord, is that of submissiveness to her husband. Now, if I were preaching a different sermon, I would spend a whole lot of time talking to dudes about what, what it means, guys, men, husbands in the room, what it means to lead your wife. Your wife should want to follow you. you I mean, it, it literally, the Bible literally tells you to consider others more significant than yourself. It says to live with your wife in an understanding way. It talks about loving your wife and dying for your wife and giving yourself up for your wife and, and, and being sacrificial to your wife. And so if the husband's being sacrificial to the wife, which is the design, it should be easy for the wife to say, you know what, I'll follow that. I mean, I've got some examples in our home. I, I, there's, there's things that, that I don't want to do. When, I'm gonna, I didn't say this in last, the last service because it can be embarrassing to one of our kids. But, man, when James first got home, he, uh, he, he, I'll just say this. His, his diapers were the worst thing I've ever experienced. It wasn't like a normal diaper. It was like a level 100. And there were some things going on. I mean, he, he had lived the first part of his life in a, in a third world country and some parasites and different things. And it was, it was awful. And so I, I laid down a rule. After changing one diaper, I was like, you're not to change another diaper. Not, you can, number, number, number one, that's fine. Number two, it's mine. Now, I didn't want her to have to deal with it. I didn't want her to do it. So I would literally, she would like call me and say, yep, you need to come home. And I would literally come home from work and change that bad boy. Now, in my line, I'm not lying. This is the truth. Um, she would easily submit to that. Could you, would you submit to that? Would you like, sure, I'd, I'd do that. Like, there's things that are like, yeah, I'd submit to that. Do not do that. There are other things in, in, in our life that my wife doesn't easily submit to. Um, I'm going to tell on my wife and tell you how she's an unsubmissive wife. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling on her right here. I'm calling it church discipline. She, she, would, she watches and listens to trash. It's, it's like... These crime shows where people get abducted, and they're serial killers, and she's like listening to podcasts, and I'm like, woman, this must stop. Every time, like there would be, we'd be sitting there, and the wind would blow, and something would rattle on the porch, it's somebody outside, you know? You're like, this is not healthy. This is not good for you. You don't need to think that every time a leaf rustles that someone's going to kill you, so therefore you need to stop. Listening to this, submit to me, I love you, I care for you, this is not good for you. But let me go on a trip. Let me turn my back. <laughs> like, a few weeks ago, I was, was going to be gone, and she was going to watch, she was like, there's this new documentary on Netflix, and I'm watching it while you're gone. And I'm like, don't. You didn't. She submitted. Biblical submission, those are light and funny, but, but as a husband leads his family, he leads his wife, he's leading for her good. Now, what's the problem in this? The problem is that we live in a broken world, and men have, men have gone, no, you submit to me. You clean my whatever, you do this, you cook, and we've abused women. Your place is there in the kitchen barefoot and pregnant. The problem is that we've abused it. So now, I just want to address a few things. Young ladies in the room, single, unmarried, engaged, engaged, it's not too late. You need to marry a man who you will have no problem respecting. 
no problem submitting to. Now, you can't control that, right? You can, you can control who you marry. You can't control who they become necessarily, right? So he could turn into a real jerk, a good chance, um, real good chance. You need to make sure the man that you marry, one, loves the Lord, is submitted to the Lord, loves Christ, and is willing to follow Christ. Make sure that the way he treats you is loving and kind and, and gentle. And, and that, that when you look at biblical manhood, you get like, marry that man, right? Then, this, then submission isn't going to be an issue. You're going to joyfully submit the same way that I joyfully submit to Scripture and Jesus' teaching, right? That, there's, there's, that's the first thing I want to deal with. Some of you in the room got married. You weren't a believer. Your husband wasn't a believer. And then you became a believer. And all of a sudden, you're married to someone who isn't, isn't a believer, isn't a biblical, isn't a biblical man. Your, your question is, so now what do I do? And that's, 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 we've got this in Scripture too. First um, Peter chapter 3. This is another, another place. By the way, I mean, we, we, the, the submission, submission and male headship, those, those are things that are talked about in multiple, multiple places in Scripture by multiple uh, authors. It's not just Paul who says it. We see it multiple places. So here's Peter. He says, uh, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And so there's the next thing I want to show you is that, man, some people in the room, you, you may be married to somebody who's not exactly a delight to be married to, Jennifer. Uh, does, it change your, does it change your calling, what the Lord has called you to do and how you live in a submissive way? And so I would just tell you this, wives, who if you're, you're in the room and you're struggling to respect your husband because uh, the truth is he's not a respectable person. I'm not saying that, it, that it, if he's, there, there, are certain, there are certain sins, there are certain things that he commits that, that, that would require you to leave or you to, you to be healthy. I mean, there, there's, there's, ser there's things in adultery and serial adultery, and there's things in abuse and those things. I'm not, not in any, any way saying, man, you just, be a, you just stay in the abuse. That's not what I'm saying. Not what I'm saying at all. I want to hear me clear. But you, some of you ha have husbands, and he's just a, he's just a, B-level jerk, and what you do is you love him, and you pray for him, and you show him respect, even though he doesn't earn it. He doesn't garnish your respect. He, you, you show him respect, and you love him. You pray for him. You seek to be a faithful witness to him, and by those things, by your respectful and pure conduct, there is a good chance that he becomes a believer. The Lord uses that. The Holy Spirit works in that. And so you do that. Here's the, here's the next thing I want to show us. And I, I, this, is, this is in this passage. I want to show this to the whole um, church. Do not let your adorn, adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry are the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And so we see something beautiful here. Culturally, the things that we say, this is, this is femininity. This is what it means to be a woman. They are, they are literally the, uh, the, the adorning, they're the hair, they're the clothes, they're the jewelry, right? It's, it's the, the external uh, 
adorning. And as a church, as Christians, we ought to reject this. We ought to address that, that what it means to be a woman means to look a certain way. It's the example that I used in the beginning. It's the two women. We ought to look at those women. We ought to look at who God made them to be and say, that is a woman. And if they have godly attributes, then we say, that is a godly woman. I'm going to let you, let, let y'all, uh, women in the room, let you in a secret, a husband's secret. There's a lot of things that you feel pressured to do. Whether it be from the gram, whether it be from Facebook, whether it be from uh, the news, uh, the, the magazines in the aisle at the grocery store. There's a lot of things that culture is press, pressuring you to do. Pressuring you to look a certain way, be a certain way, and we do not care. Right? We like you. How you are. And if you would not have told us that you needed to look that way, we wouldn't have even known it. Right? You're like, I'm, I'm going to get my eyebrows microbladed. We're like, you're doing what? <laughs> we, we don't care if you, what you do with your eyebrows. You're like, I've got this unibrow. We don't notice the unibrow. You know, we don't. Like, we're, like we, how much does it cost? That's what we care. <laughs> how much does that cost? You feel the need to do it, not necessarily because your husband's making you feel the need to do it, because culture's making you need need to do it, right? You got, we've got to dye my hair. I've got to hide, hide my gray. We ought, to look at, we ought to look at women who have some gray in their hair and be like, wow, that's cool. You're wise, right? The Bible talks about that. We ought to look at, look at grays and go, man, baby, you need to go get that dyed. If a husband's telling you, baby, you need to go get that dyed, man, he, he needs to come talk to me. We need to have a counseling session. Um, our, our adorning, the things, the things the, the, that the world looks at and says, this is what women should look like. We ought to reject it. I mean, here's, there's a truth here. As the world makes money off of it, right? There, the, sec, the over-sexualization of our culture, it's an industry. It's an industry. The beauty industry, I mean, you look like you could, you could do a case study on something like Rodan and Fields. And I'm not, I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I ain't got a problem with Rodan and Fields. Like, you want to look pretty? I want you to look pretty. You want to wear whatever? I want you to look that way, feel that way. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm saying we should care about what's in the heart. We should care about the submissiveness to the, to the Lord in our relationships rather than putting this, this weird box out there that's just fo- following culture. And we've talked about this in prior weeks. Like It's impossible to keep up with. The trends are impossible. You will run yourself ragged. I mean, one, one week it's the side part. One week it's the middle part. One week it's this type of pants. The next week it's that type of pants. It's, it's a rat race. It's impossible. I have to think that this is, this is so discouraging to women because the world continually says to them, you are not enough. You're not shaped the right way. You don't look the right way. And men in the church, we ought to look at them and say, you are enough. You're who God created you to be, and you are beautiful, and I like you how you are. I like who God made you to be, what I care about, what's going on in your heart. Let your adorning be in the hidden person. We say all the time in this church, what God works in your heart works out. That, that the Bible, our time with God, our prayer is changing who we are. It's changing us from the inside out. And that the hidden person of the heart with its imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight very precious. Listen. 
There's so many things that the world is putting on women and saying, you must be this, you must be this. Let's let not the church add on to it. Let's let the church, the church come and say, no, you are a sister in Christ. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and I love you. I'm going to talk about next week, I'm going to talk about what it, what it means for us to be image bearers, to be made in the image of God in temples, that our bodies are temples of God, and what it means to be healthy. And I'm not, you know, in some ways it kind of feels like in, in these sermons when I talk about men and talk about women, like you can just butter all your biscuits and eat all your things, and the, like we all should just look like busted cans of biscuits. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we should just all let ourselves go. I'm going to talk about health. I'm going to talk about what health means and, and how we idolize it in our culture. But what I'm hearing you is, what, what I want you to hear me say today is, God loves you how you are. God loves you how, how he made you. He loves you in who he created you to be. And we do not have to follow what it is the world says that you should be. Here's my last big idea. It's this, that women who submit to the Lord will be praised. That's what we're going to care about when it's all said and done. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. It means those things are going to go. Like, you know, you're, you're going to get things. You're going to feel, feel this way, especially in your teens and in your 20s and in your 30s. You're going to look a certain way. In the 40s, things start changing. And by 50s, in 60s and 70s, you don't look like what you once did. And if your value and in your worth is held up in how you look, you're going to be let down. You're going to be de- destroyed. But th- those things are vain. It is fleeting. But who's to be praised? This charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So women who submit to the Lord are, are who will be praised. When we talk about the submission issue with our husbands, I'm going to go back to where, we, where, where I was last week. Last week I, I told husbands it, that before you'll be able to stand and act like a man, you'll first have to kneel and submit to Christ. You'll first have to get on your knees and submit to Christ before you will stand. I will tell you this, and as a woman, there's no way in which you will glorify God in the submission of your husband if you don't sub- first submit to him. Christian, Christianity, the following of Jesus, is, is uh, a religion of submission. It is taking up our cross daily and following Jesus. That's what it is. It's, it's Christianity. It's following Jesus, submitting our will and calling Him Lord. It's us confessing that He is Lord, that He is ruler, that, that He is boss. That we'll submit our lives to him. I, I want to ask you a question. If you think about the, the women who followed Jesus. Yeah, there are two different Marys. Um, you, you've got Martha. right? You've got, you've got these different, di- different women. When Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, they would take up their cross and follow me daily. Did that apply to them? Did it require them any more or less submission of their life to, to Jesus than the disciples? No, it was the same. Jesus calls us to submit. And I will tell you, women in the room, you can chase after. 
what the world is calling womanhood, and you will never catch it. But if you chase after Jesus, if you chase after the Lord, you will find him. He will change your life, and at the end of your life, you will be praised. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your word and its goodness. Lord, we thank you for the women in the room. Lord, may we treat them as sisters in Christ. May we love one another. May we cherish one another. Lord, may we embrace the roles in which you've given us. Lord, help us to weed out the things that we've piled on and layered on to these roles that have complicated things. Help us to be men and women who love you and who are called according to your purpose, who seek to live out our faith within the, in, in a faith community. Help us to be committed to you and committed to the church. Help us to be committed to making disciples. Lord, I pray for the young, young men and young women, especially the young women today in our church, that we would raise young men and women who are fearful of following the world. Have a healthy fear of you and who submit their lives and follow you. Lord, protect us from... from from finding us a false identity and finding security in a false identity. Let us find our identity in the image bearers which you made us to be. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the gift that, that we have in Jesus. That though he knew no sin, he became sin. Though he was ruler, a creator, he humbled himself, he, he came to the earth, he died on the cross for our sins. Father, I, I thank you that you've made a way for us, that you're restoring us. I, th I thank you for what's happened when Jesus came and died on the cross, Father, that we could be made new, made whole, that we could have a new way of life. Father, I thank you for that. Lord, move and work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand as we sing a song of response. And husbands, I would just encourage you to put your arm around your wife and, and pray for your wife today. Pray for the women in the room. Pray for the women in our church so that they would be able to stand within the culture, stand within the time, and to be godly women.